Hello there, this is Coden. And this is Cassia. And welcome back to The Ebonhawk, a podcast where we discuss Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic games, and proposed movie adaptations, as well as Star Wars news. This is episode four. This is where the hope begins. So our first topic today, we're going to talk about a character from Knights of the Republic. His name is Candrus Ordo. Um, he is the OG Mandalorian, or rather, the KOTOR Mandalorian. Yeah, what an appropriate topic to get started with, with the Mandalorian releasing here in the last uh, week and a half. Yeah. So if we look back on the history of Candrus Ordo, what first comes to mind? When you first meet him... Yeah, at the start of KOTOR 1 on the first planet there. but Terrace. Yeah, Terrace. You learn that he is a Mandalorian, which is, you know, as you delve into the lore of kind of the the prehistory of Nicele's Republic, is the Republic just got out of a civil war with Mandalore. And Candorus was one of the leading generals uh, opposing the Republic. But... The Mandalorians, of course, lost the war against the Jedi. Revan beat their forces on Malachor V. And Candorus kind of fell down on his luck. And he's kind of just working for Davik Kang and the exchange on Terrace. And he's just kind of living below his talents, I would say. He's kind of a big fish in a small pond. Right. You meet him at the cantina in Terrace. And, um, you know, not knowing. Bar's cantina. Yeah. And he he doesn't actually recognize you as Darth Revan. And so. Revan always wore a mask. Right. And, but he did, he saw a little bit of Revan as far as like the, the arena games. And understood that he, Revan wanted to get off of Terrace and saw that as his opportunity to also leave Terrace and get away from uh, Davik. So that's kind of how you start to meet him in the video game. Yeah. And then he joins your party. You you escape Terrace together. And he comes with you to Tatooine, Kashik, Manon, and Korriban, and uh, to the Starforge. And if you follow the dark side path, he's actually probably like the only one that follows you without question if you choose that path. Yeah, well, him and the robot follow you without question. Oh yeah, <laughs> we always forget Gotta about love HK. Yeah, we always forget about HK, but he he's all gung ho for whatever Revan wants to do. Can droids really choose though? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, that, that's a that's a good that's a good point. You know, you think of R two D two and Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, R two D two was forced to accompany Anakin through that transition period between you know Anakin to Darth Vader and it wasn't until Obi-Wan 
left Mustafar where R2-D2 also was able, got away from Anakin. So you wonder if that was by choice or if Obi-Wan picked him up. It looks like when Obi-Wan and everyone left, they left Anakin, you know, kind of to die. <laughs> right. It, it looks like Obi-Wan just gave R2 and C-3PO to Bail Organa and C-3PO had to have his memory wiped, but because no one can understand R2, his memory wasn't wiped. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so Candrus, it's just interesting because like he was just like a neo crusader, and his way of life is just like you know to kind of like fight and forward his people. But when he joins your party, it's interesting to hear his war stories. And two war stories stuck out to me is. In one of his stories, he said that he stumbled into a coral skipper, and I believe that this was a reference to the Yuhazin Vong from the Expanded Universe, which I guess is in Legends now, because the Yuhazin Vong would send out scouts, and maybe the one coral skipper that he ran into was maybe the one that alerted the Yuhazin Vong to the galaxy far, far away. And another story that I thought was cool is when you hear about him jumping into a planet's atmosphere, I think on a basilisk war droid, and like he was just kind of free falling and like through a planet's atmosphere, and it's like, is he gonna die? Is he gonna burn up? And it's like, no. And then he landed on the planet and, you know, was able to continue fighting. Were there any stories that stuck out to you? I did read up on the one where he jumps through the atmosphere. One thing that stuck out to me just collectively was that he wasn't just kind of a a behind-the-lines style commander. He was very much in the front leading his own charge and um, bringing his people to victory, which I thought was a, you know, it's a very good trait for a military commander to have. A bit reckless, too, but with a lot of his stories, but he's very successful in all of his campaigns except for the uh you know the final one with darth revan yeah were there any standout scenes for you uh featuring candorus and kotor one he's a very hard-headed character uh one thing that you know you notice with him is he's not if you play completely light side with revan he's not totally supportive with the more compassionate ends that uh, Revan's choices make and so it wasn't a surprise to me if you went full dark side that he ends up joining forces with you though you were one of his biggest enemies yeah the relationship that you develop with Candrus throughout the story though is one where he he builds more respect for you as the campaign goes on to where Regardless if you go light side or dark side, he knows that just by following you will kind of help him fulfill his purpose either way. Yeah. For him, like, the greatest glory, I think, is, like, war and following a good general, like, an excellent general into war is, is like, his greatest calling. Some standout scenes for me, like, I, I mentioned the Basilisk war droid, like, it's also just fun to like hear his war stories. But I also remember if your party is walking around and like Bastila or Karth is in your party, I just remember him 
not really getting on with them because they're Republic soldiers and Bastila is a Jedi and he just doesn't like them. And I found that funny. Yeah, he's he was the odd the oddball out. He really was you know the character that really didn't relate to anyone except for Revan. Though he didn't, if he knew who Revan was, he most likely would have not followed them in the first place. Yeah, but I I wonder if he did know. Like it's like desperate times call for desperate measures. They they both wanted off of Terrace, but I guess we'll never know. But yeah, what are what are some standout scenes from Coach? Kotor 2. You meet him on the jungle moon of Ondugzin, and he is Mandalore the Preserver. He's trying to unite all the Mandalorians under his mantle, and I I kind of found Candrus in the first Kotor to be immature, impulsive, and like, sometimes he seemed like a 20-year-old, like, frat boy, even though I think he's supposed to be 63 in the first Kotor. So, like, in the first Knights of the Old Republic, he's kind of just like, yeah, well, I'd be stronger and be able to kill more people and, ugh, and braggadocious, I think. But in the second KOTOR, it was nice to see him kind of mature and be more self-aware and kind of, like, take some responsibility upon himself and lead his people so they they could survive. And I kind of liked him kind of growing up a bit for you know how i guess in knights of the old republic too he'd be 68 but in my in my mind he was like 40 in knights of the old republic so (laughs) but i guess that's just my head canon yeah from the from kind of the extended lore that i was reading about candrus preparing for this episode it definitely looks like or looked like his time spent with revan did him a ton of good um, because, yeah, before he was just some cocky war veteran. And through his travel with Revan, he focused his later energy towards rebuilding, you know, the fallen people of Mandalore. And I don't, I don't know a whole lot more than kind of that rebuild there between that and KOTOR 2. But that's where it all came from was just kind of his real line of focus with his stay with Revan. Yeah, it it is interesting because in the second game, I don't think he is known as Candorous when he joins your party. In the first game, like, you know, he's Candorous Ordo. His face, like in the first Knights of the Old Republic, kind of looks a bit like a jar. Kind of like someone like stepped on his face. A bit and then in the second game he's just known as mandalore and he wears like black and silver armor he always has his mask on even though like there is a file that exists that you can see him with an improved looking face graphics wise you know because i don't think he was like meant to be seen as ugly you know in knights of the Old republic one but and he also had a beard but for some reason, you never see him without his mask on in the second one. So it seems like visually and uh, character development wise, like he goes through an arc, you know, like I think he definitely progresses. How do you think Candace would be handled in a proposed like movie or trilogy? You know, definitely a, a supporting character, not not a big like main character the main characters are like karth bastila revan right and 
depending on what they do with KOTOR, if they're going to follow the Revan storyline or if they're just going to do it in the world of KOTOR, I uh, would determine whether they could cameo him or any of his work or if they're actually going to have him as a character. Yeah. And... Yeah. I think if they were to adapt, I think if they adapted KOTOR, they should do the story of Revan because it's, it's a good story, it's strong, and it exists. And sometimes when people try to come up with their own material, it's not so good, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely see him as a supporting character. But I kind of just... I wonder if he would just kind of be in your party until Terrace, and then maybe, like, regroup with you. And maybe stay with you until Tatooine so he can have his encounter with Jaggy. But I kind of wonder if he could go off, do his own thing, and then regroup with you for the final battle of the Star Forge. Yeah, I mean, if they follow along with the KOTOR story for the film adaptations, you're you're always traveling as a party of three. And so that when you have so many characters in one space at one time... It, it's too much. Right. I mean, the only film that's really been able to... There's only been a, maybe a couple of films that have been able to pull it off and um, other than that it ends up just kind of being a star civil war i actually do like the idea that you mentioned where uh, where he helps uh, you get off terrace and then it goes off and does his own thing and regroups later that would work out pretty well for a movie adaptation and they would have to probably do something similar with some of the other characters like the Wookiee and the twi'lek that follow you yeah i could i could see zalbar and mission like, maybe when you go to Kashik, Zalbar could become, like, a leader there, and, like, maybe they could stay there and then maybe regroup for the final battle. And then Jolie would join your party, you know, and he could be there until the end as well. So, mm-hmm. that's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, if they kept the story centered around you, like, Revan, Basila, and... and Karth. Yeah, Karth. Like, the main three, you know? Like... Mm-hmm. Things work, stories work best with trios, you know. Yeah, then, yeah, that would just work out better. All right, that's it for Candyman. So let's uh, talk about The Mandalorian. We uh, just recently got the second episode released over the weekend. And it's, uh, I'm thinking it's pretty solid. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so far I've really liked it. It was a little bit not what I was expecting, uh, especially, you know, we can talk about spoilers later. But to keep it pretty general, it's you're looking for a story about a, a bounty hunter and it definitely just gives you what you want. A bounty hunter looking for uh, ways to make a living, which is pretty interesting so far. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the Star Wars Bounty Hunter video game where you were Jango Fett and just kind of getting bounty after bounty on different worlds. So it kind of brought back some, some good memories of playing through that game. It's definitely a Star Wars Western and I dig it. 
it kind of has some shorter episodes but that's not really the worst complaint you can really have because if you feel like something is a little bit shorter it means you want it longer and also the shorter episodes they kind of feel like the serials with cliffhangers at the end like buck rogers or flash gordon that when george lucas was like creating star wars that's what he was inspired by so it's kind of like coming back full circle mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's still some talk on how long each of these episodes are going to be because the first episode was pretty long. The second episode was just uh, around 30 minutes. But the second episode was more or less a part two of the first episode. Yeah, I think the first episode was like 36 minutes. And then I think including credits, the second episode was like 32 So I kind of wonder if, like, episodes one and two were originally just meant to be one episode. But I think they wanted to end on that, (gasps) you know, cliffhanger Yeah. uh, in the first episode. So I think that's why they divided it the way they did. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, so far it's been really good. It's uh, steered away from politics, which has been really refreshing. It's just really focused on telling... A, a pretty pure Star Wars story, which is, you know, pretty entertaining so far. Yeah, and it, it just feels like a solid Lucas-era Star Wars story, and it, it feels like it blends, like, the original trilogy and prequel trilogy in a good in a good way, and it tells a compelling story, and the effects are pretty pretty good for a TV show, so... I do have to bring up, like, I, I'm i kind of sad for people around the world, because right now you can only watch The Mandalorian on Disney+, Plus, and right now Disney+, Plus is only available in the US, Canada, and the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of expecting, like, people will just be spoiled, or they'll just have to find other ways to see what happens, and... I just kind of wish, like, that everyone in the world was able to partake of this story the way it was meant to be. It was meant to be viewed. But I kind of wonder if they just kind of released it now so they could build up goodwill going into episode 9. Do we want to talk about spoilers? Uh, yeah, let's move into spoilers. For the next few minutes, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian, and our discussion will contain spoilers. If you wish to continue listening without having the episodes spoiled, please fast forward to 34 minutes and 14 seconds. From there, we will move our discussion to Jedi Fallen Order for the remaining few minutes, and then close the episode. We'll be entering hyperspace shortly, so strap yourselves in. to the episode one discussion it was directed by dave filoni and written by john favreau and uh some fun facts is that dave filoni he worked on star wars the clone wars with george lucas and also went on to to work on uh, star wars rebels he is very experienced in the universe of star wars and he is very respectful of the lore so it was it was very cool to see his live action a uh, directorial debut and i think he did a good job and another fun fact about john favreau is he he also directed like iron man one and two and he plays Happy Hogan in the 
Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he also played a Mandalorian character in The Clone Wars. And he was actually decapitated with the Black Saber by Darth Maul. So, yeah, he has some Mandalorian roots. But this episode begins the Mandalorian, he has no name yet, coming into a bar and he ends up getting a bounty on a creature named Mithral. And he he ends up turning him in and he gets his money and talks to Grief Karga, who's played by Carl Weathers, and they discuss various bounties. And he finds an Imperial officer, a remnant officer, who gives him a bounty. And all they will say is that it needs to be off the books and that the target is 50 year old. 50 years old, and someone who works with him named Dr. Pershing says, I want, I want it alive. And at the end, you find out that the target is a baby, not just any baby, but an unknown species like Yoda and Yaddle and Vandar Torak from Knights of the Old Republic, a little adorable Yoda baby. Yeah, I mean, what a what a surprise. Yeah, and I I would die for baby Yoda. Like, it's just I don't know if it's the maternal instincts kicking in, but I'm just like it's adorable. And like, is it CGI? Is it puppetry? Is it a mix of it? But I'm like, oh, I'm sold. But that was a really good way to to end that episode. Well, uh, even even the the Mandalorian his. I mean, you know, he's just some tough bounty hunter guy, but when he sees that his Corey is a baby, even he kind of goes into parent mode, which is also pretty funny to see. Yeah, but I think it also fits his character and the universe because when he gets his armor forged, um, they say this money is going to the to the families that we're going to be supporting. And he's like, I was once a foundling too, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's flashbacks to the Clone Wars while the armorer is forging his armor on an impressive Star Wars forge. Maybe you could call it a Star Forge. <laughs> Just kidding. But it fits with his character that he would like find compassion for this baby because he was once an orphan and he cares, you know, for like vulnerable you know, children. And also in this universe, I, I think this kind of alien is is rare, you know, so it would instill awe in anyone, I think. Yeah. The biggest question that I had, and I hope it answers down the, uh, the episode timeline, is what that baby was doing there in the first place. Who, who were the people that were you know, had custody of the baby at the time? Were they Jedi defectors? Were they were they people that had, you know, essentially kidnapped or stolen the baby? What yeah. what was that story? And why you know, why were they so difficult to get to up until the point where the Mandalorian and the uh, IG assassin droid get there? Yeah. IG eighty eight was was a fun addition. He is voiced by Taika Watiti who I believe is also going to be directing an episode of The Mandalorian. And he also directed the recent Jojo Rabbit, but also 
the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder and Thor Ragnarok, which came out a few years ago. But I kind of wonder if Dr. Pershing is connected with the Kaminoans, however however you say that, because uh, on his arm is like a sigil that like all the clones would wear on Kamino, like it was a symbol of Kamino. So I, I wonder if the Yoda baby is a clone or what, but an interesting thing about the Yoda baby is that if Anakin were still alive, he would also be 50 at this point in the timeline. So Yoda baby and Anakin Skywalker are the same age. Hmm. Yeah. But I... Must I kinda... be the true chosen one. <laughs> yeah, they got that wrong. And that's why it's screwed up so badly. But I kind of, I kind of wonder, are we going to see more Yoda people? Are we going to learn like what kind of species yoda is finally we are going to be learning that than than not because george lucas is involved like with the mandalorian so yeah i hope we don't talk too much about that race i do like the mysteriousness of yoda's race i'd rather maybe keep it that way i would maybe be fine with the mandalorian learning but the audience not learning like where they're from or what they're called yeah it'll be interesting to see what's revealed what we see like if we're gonna see like baby yoda's parents baby yoda's like siblings or or what but it was an intriguing end to episode one and i also have to say like it's just nice to see how seriously they take the mandalorian culture it was just kind of cool to see other mandalorians and like him getting his armor forged like it costs like all of his money but he didn't care like his armor meant that much to him like mm-hmm. just like a, a shoulder plate and i also just have to mention that that star wars forge looking thing it was it was really really rad so yeah you know he he makes a brief mention in the second episode where you know, his weapons are his religion and i believe that that forging of his armor was more or less in that similar mindset of like he's he's basically donating his reward to apply that next piece of his livelihood and so to him that forging was absolutely worth every penny yeah so for him it's like i i would say like a religious experience (laughs) Mm-hmm. But yeah, any more thoughts on episode one? No, I think I think that's pretty much it for episode one. Yeah. Episode two was directed by Rick Femoya, written by John Favreau. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say like how much of a relief it is to see a character struggle and fail and not instantly be amazing at what they do. Even though we know he is a good fighter, we see him take on and disintegrate all of those uh, other fighters that were coming for the baby. And he, he struggled, he got hurt, but he fought them off, but it was hard. But then he comes to a ship and Jawas kind of took everything, you know, and he's, he's going, he's running after them. And he struggles, 
and just when you think he's gonna like get get the better of them they get the better of him he's stunned and he falls unconscious and it was really nice to see him struggle and fail yeah i really like that scene we associate that sand crawler as this really slow and very uh you just cumbersome vehicle from a new hope but yeah. to to see the jaws like run to it and then just like try and run away from him using this giant tank i i thought it was hilarious i really enjoyed that scene and and then yeah he gets like tased when he finally reaches the top of it and then it's just all over he's right back to square one yeah so then he kind of has to go back to his friend the ugnot cool and kind of be like uh hey jawas kind of took everything i own like how do we how do we how do we solve this he's like yeah i kind of murdered a lot of them kind of wonder if baby yoda is gonna grow up to be a well-adjusted you know adult yoda because like he's kind of witnessed a whole lot of killing in front of him you know right but so they go back to Quill, who is voiced by Nick Nolte, and he's like, you just trade with the Jawas, and like, the Jawas are, you know, kind of like, hesitant, to put it mildly, but they also want to get his armor, but he's like, yeah, that's not happening, and they're like, get the egg, and the Mandalorian is like, okay, I can, I can get the egg, and so he goes to a Mudhorn cave, and he has to fight this big rhino-looking creature. It also looks like a reek from Attack of the Clones. And it's very muddy. Yeah, he walks up to this uh, beast's home. And, you know, you're, you're not really knowing what to expect. He goes into the den. And it looks empty at first. And then the monster's eye opens. And then it cuts out back to the, the Yoda baby. And you hear a bunch of blaster bolts, and then you just see the Mandalorian just get thrown out of the cave. Almost and... like he has a jetpack, but he doesn't. He's right. just thrown that far by by the Mudhorn. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of cool to learn that it was called the Mudhorn, because it's a muddy area and it has a horn. So I'm like, 10 for 10 naming convention. <laughs> yeah. So. And, I mean, basically, the Mandalorian was just going to lose the fight. It was pretty one-sided where none of his weapons were doing anything. He was going to pull his disintegration rifle out, but it was jammed with mud. And then all of a sudden, the Yoda baby just picks up the beast with the force, <laughs> allowing yeah. him to just walk up and, and you know stab the beast in the vital organ or the heart. And was able to retrieve the egg for the Jawas. But again, just some of that Yoda lore of... Some of Yoda's size um, shouldn't be judged by, like, the amount of force that they can wield. I mean, the baby just kind of says, we'll just lift you up, and it was over. Yeah, but what I liked about that, at first I was kind of like, why are you bringing the baby to, like, witness this? I think it's going to be in trouble. But then when the Mudhern was about to like take the killing blow on the Mandalorian, it stopped because it was raised in the air by the Yoda baby. And you could see like it was kind of taking everything that the baby had Mm -hmm. to kind of hold it up in the in the air for a little bit. And then when it let it down, the Mandalorian kind of ran around and like 
got it like in throat and was able to take care of it. But then you see the Yoda baby. That's that species has a natural affinity for the force and they're very powerful. But the Yoda baby like kind of collapsed. You could tell like it it took like all the energy it had. And like after they get the egg and after they put the ship back together, like the baby Yoda is still kind of asleep in a trance, you know, like it's not like it instantly like was able just to use the force because it wanted to and like there were no consequences like it was exhausting and but then at the end of the episode it wakes up again mm-hmm. but i also liked the character of the ugnaught like it's sad i hope we see more of him but if not like i guess that's a good ending for that character it was just kind of funny at the end of everything he would say it was i have spoken it's basically become a new meme Right. I guess I just want to stress that it's just nice to see a character sh- character struggle and not succeed all the time and kind of have to make things better and do things differently than they did the first time. Rather than murdering all the Jawas, you can negotiate with them. Mm-hmm. It shows character development. And also, it was just funny to just see, like, the Mandalorian mask he's wearing just get caked in mud. And I just wonder where the story's going to go in episode three. Yeah, it would be pretty interesting to see what they do with it. I mean, he could just have a really quiet and uneventful trip all the way back to the the planet. Or, or he might end up picking up other things along the way. We saw early in the first episode when he picked up that one alien that he liked to pick up multiple targets at the same time. And so we'll we'll get to see how he handles this one. Now with the amount of bounty that this guy is paying him for this alien, it's going to raise the question of why do they want him? And we'll get to see what the Mandalorian decides, whether he's going to take the bounty and just leave get the baby. Get the money? Or does he follow his principles and save orphans? Right. Yeah, uh, that's, that's an upcoming question of what exactly is going to be done with this bounty and that'll be cool to see what if he adopts baby yoda and trains him as a mandalorian so we will eventually have a yoda species as in mandalorian armor taking out bounties a mandalorian jedi baby yeah and the baby could eventually grow up you know yeah and then that would be amazing and, and then we meet this yoda baby as an adult in Star Wars 9. What if he's a character on Batu in at Disneyland or Disney World? It would be awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll definitely be watching all of the Mandalorian episodes and we will talk about it again in the future. Yep. All right, and that'll be the end of spoilers. All right, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. But... This game is good. Like, it's getting great reviews, and the reception is very positive. What's been your experience playing through it? I've really enjoyed the gameplay. Uh, as far Well, for the combat, the lightsaber, the force, all that. The, the puzzles have been good. It reminds me a lot. There's been a lot of comparisons of, oh, this, this game looks like Dark Souls. This game looks like The Force Unleashed. It's really not like either of those games. 
it, it reminds me of Uncharted. Yeah, it's got a lot of Uncharted. The puzzles are a lot like Metroid Prime. And the combat, so similar to Dark Souls, is more like Sekiro. Well, Sekiro is very difficult. And Dark Souls is obviously very difficult. But Fallen Order isn't near the difficulty. But the combat style is the same. One thing that I like about the game is it determines its difficulty on how forgiving it is with your timing so if you bring up the difficulty level to what they call the the grand master difficulty it's extremely hard to pull off things like uh, parrying or the bolt blocking or dodging and as you scale down the difficulty to the more narrative difficulty then it gives you a couple seconds to be like oh he's attacking i'll i'll block yeah so it, it like I haven't been able to play it yet, but I've watched some playthroughs from Star Wars Siri and others, but it looks like a fun game and I I can't wait to play it. I I'm going to start playing through it this week. What's interesting about this game is EA Games produced it, but it was developed by Respawn and Chris Avalone who worked on Fallout 2 and New Vegas, Prey, and uh, in the terms of our podcast, most importantly, Knights of the Old Republic 2, he also worked on it. So, it's yeah, pretty good. That's nothing to it. It's nothing like KOTOR. Uh, no. <laughs> the, the most it has with KOTOR is your interaction with your crew in the ship which i think is it's really fun where the loading is all persistent and so you you get in your ship you tell the captain what planet you want to go to and then he'll take off from the planet and fly to the next one and then when he's about to exit hyperspace he'll tell you to get in your seat and then he'll Mm -hmm. retract from hyperspace so that action of him telling you to sit down is the final loading sequence to get you to the next destination, which is really cool. Yeah, I it kind of makes me want a remake of Knights of the Old Republic. Not that it would necessarily have to be an RPG, but if like we had the story of Knights of the Old Republic, like today's graphics and gameplay conventions, I kind of just wonder what it would look like. Mm-hmm. So your general thoughts on the gameplay and story, it's positive? So my my thoughts on the gameplay are pretty positive. I found myself with the cutscenes, I, I found myself wanting to skip them a lot, but there's no way to skip them. So I just kind of have to wait for the cutscene to be over. That's not with all of the story, but that is with a lot of it. It's it's not that the story is bad. I found that it's, it's just kind of a bland story to me. But yeah. the, the game is just fun enough that like when we get away from them trying to tell a story and me running around with a lightsaber i'm totally down to do all of the persistent story it's just the cutscene story seems to be a bit off there are some things that i was happy about one of my concerns that i mentioned from our previous episode was how were they going to tie cal's escape from order 66 and to to the present where they pick up the story of him at the ship cutting yard and 
I, you know, I'm not going to get into story details for those that want to play the game, but it, it definitely provides a very good transition to where he was to where you meet him, where he's going. And so that, that was a plus for me. And I do like where they steer away from the, from the recent EA and, and Disney kind of social politics and just focus on telling a story in general, which is good too. Yeah. It's a, it's a short game. It's, Mm -hmm. I I think the the campaign spans out around 15 hours from start to finish, which I mean, that's, that's longer than a lot of games nowadays, sadly. Yeah. Sadly, that's a pretty medium sized campaign for today's standards but you know compared to Knights of the Republic Knights of the Republic was a much longer yeah Yeah. and so you know maybe by next week or the week after we'll have the full game finished and we can provide a more detailed thought of what we thought for the entire story yeah so this has been Coden this has been Cassia you can find uh, me at twitch.com TV forward slash code and bond as well as uh, you can follow me personally on twitter at code and bond and then if you had any comments or questions you wanted to email to us we have an email at ebonhawkpodcast at gmail.com and you can find me at ebonhawkpodcast on instagram and our intro and outro themes were composed by alistair scheuermann he can be found at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash alistairsounds. And our transition music was composed by Christian Walker. And he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. And this has been episode four of The Ebon Hawk. Take care of yourselves, meatbag. And may the force be with you. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>